Hi, this is the Bring a Brick podcast, interviewing professionals from around the world who use improvisation in their work and in their life. I'm your host, John Cooper. Today's guest is Kat Coppett. Kat is head of Coppett.com, a company which specialises in using theatre, improv and storytelling to enhance individual and group performance. Uh, Copco have had clients including Appen, Chanel and Morgan Chase. And Kat's also the author of a book which is called Training to Imagine, Practical Improvisational Theatre Techniques for Trainers and Managers, which was a bit of a mouthful and I stumbled over it, but it did lead me to my first question to Kat, which was, is it tricky to market improv to people who don't know what it is? It's much, much easier now. You know, it's, um, <clears throat> in fact, it's it's a hot topic these yeah. days. And there have been articles, you know, in the States, there have been articles in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, and, and I'm, I'm sure globally it's getting a lot more attention as well. So it's a little bit less of a wacky idea and... Um, we're doing a lot of work with Facebook right now, as well as some of the companies that you mentioned. And I think that in general, leading edge companies are recognizing that the things that the skills that they're recognizing as important, like flexibility and being yeah. present and being connected to people and being adaptive and being innovative, that all of those things are so obviously connected to improv that they're embracing it much more than they were even a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly over here in the UK, I've done a few improv workshops for companies like the BBC and Siemens, and it seems to be the bigger companies get it, whereas when you try to pitch down to a smaller company, they're not quite there yet. You need that kind of really big, open-view companies that, that kind of recognise that stuff. Would you agree with that? or? Yeah, you know, I that resonates for me too when you say it, and I'm I'm curious about it. I I, I don't know exactly why that is, although when I was listening to you say it just now, I thought it maybe it's that when you're big like that, you have the luxury of taking some risks that yeah. the don't. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think that makes sense. So anyway, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I will digress. Um, we, we are digressing. We've just started and already we've gone off topic, but I don't mind that because that's good because that's kind of the organic nature of the thing. So I'm going to kind of go back to the basics how did you find out about improv what was your personal road in when you found what improv was and and kind of came came yeah. to it so to speak so i was a very serious classically trained actor okay who approached it very who approached acting very technically and intellectually mm -hmm. which here in the states was frowned upon Right. Uh, because we're not smart, like actors in the UK. <laughs> ah, this, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, it, I, I was in a, a school at a time, and I, I think we've recovered from this a little bit, but the actor studio was really big, and this idea of you had to, you know, feel everything completely organically, and um, uh, at, at any rate... Um, there, I, the, the approach to acting was in acting school was very much about being completely organic 
and okay. anything that was intellectual or technical was was very frowned upon by my teachers. And what that meant for me was that I got a, I, I was shamed a lot for being smart. Right. In essence, they would say things like "Don't think." Okay. And buried in there was actually some good advice, which is what they were what they were trying to say to me in an unhelpful way was, uh, "We want you to censor yourself less. We want you to be." more spontaneous we want you to be more present and connected we want you to be less judgmental and uh more organic okay so it was kind of a yes and but they weren't quite framing it like that so to speak well what they didn't know because it was also very separate the world of scripted theater and the world of improv was also very separate back then was they didn't actually know how to teach me how to do the things that they were trying to teach me how to do okay and luckily, I was with a I was working with a theater company called the Manhattan Stage Company, which had a lot of uh, a lot of really wonderful people who went on to do a lot of wonderful things, including a guy you may have heard of named Aaron Sorkin. Oh yes, yeah, the newsroom. <laughs> he wrote yes, the newsroom and the West Wing and uh, of course yes and other uh, films. Wow. Uh, so he was an actor and, and playwright with us. Uh, his the producers of that company had a mother who was a voice teacher who had a student who was an improviser okay. with a Chicago city limits in town. Yeah. She came and did a master class for us. So I discovered improv and I started improvising mostly to become a better scripted actor. Okay. And, uh, and, and found in it this way to get connected to myself. So, and to use my, to to integrate my brain and my and the rest of me in a way that I wasn't able to do that that's, my actors weren't able to. That's fascinating. I, I yeah, I I totally I totally get that. Um, I mean, I, I was talking to Drew yesterday. Myself and Drew are both um, Drew Drew Tarvin. I was talking to yesterday because mm-hmm. I I come from a stand up comedy background, and when I first got into improv. Um, I naively assumed that, that comedy and improv were connected and it was the same part of my brain that would do both and of course mm. one's kind of analytical and observational and the, the other one is kind of you know very much being in the moment and and I think you're right you do need to in, learn how to integrate these two parts because it's two very kind of different ways of thinking yeah would you agree I would and and I think what's brilliant about what the improv collective has done over the last 50 or 60 or 70 years, however long it's sort of come to back to life yeah. since the world of Commedia in, in, in America and mm-hmm. Europe and the world is create these sort of mindsets and philosophies and set of exercises to really help people do that, to say, well, what do we need to do to create collaboratively? Or what do we need to do to integrate our intellect and our impulses in a way that's satisfying and and create something, right? To blend yeah. things. Because yeah. a lot of people want yeah. to do that, but somehow the, the world of improv, you know, the, the group mind of improvisers has been able to codify that and I'm, I'm sure a lot of improvisers would hate that I just used the word codify. <laughs> yeah, so, no, I, I get that. But I know what you mean. Yeah, I get what you're saying it, totally. You know, sort of like articulate perhaps is a better way. Find, yes. you know, find some way to articulate and share and 
pass back and forth some best practices about how do you exercise those muscles yeah absolutely absolutely certainly there's the there's the argument where kind of oh well technically we're improvising all the time yeah we're not not necessarily you know training those muscles to the best they can be used all the time yeah you know it's just that that distinction between you know active and perhaps not necessarily passive but it's kind of like you know actually the the application thereof so to speak Mm -hmm um okay so so you um you you have copper.com which is your company yeah yeah and how how did that how did that come about how did you kind of set that up and did you set that up did you get the improv and then move into the company or was it the other way around just give us a bit of background right so the so the bridge between what you just asked me which is how to how i discovered improv and ending up with a a company that applied improv in organizations was I, I loved improv and I, I got drawn more and more toward improv, sort of the opposite of you. I never thought of myself as funny at all or as a comedian, but I loved being, it was about as close as we got to repertory theaters in the States um, were improv companies and I didn't have to audition for things. So I, I found myself more and more in improv, the world of improv. Yeah. And people started coming to me and saying, my students, as I started teaching, started coming to me and saying, you know, my my company could really use this. I wish my team knew what my improv class knew, or I wish my boss knew the yes and rule or, you know, could interact with me the way we're talking about interacting and stuff. And with my still very intellectual, cynical brain, I was like, well, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Kind of like my editor. But hey, I was a starving actor and companies had money. So I went and I did that. And slowly through my clients, started to see some value and eventually went back and got a master's in organizational psychology to feel like I knew a little bit more about that, about the real context of what I was talking about and did this really link in terms of what people who are studying social science and group dynamics and leadership did, did what I was saying have any resonance or validity in terms of what they were studying. Okay. I wanted to know about organizations, so I studied all that, and then out of that master's program, uh, joined the company, actually the founder of the Applied Improv Network, a guy named Alain Rostand. He founded it with Paul. Um, uh, They went to work for him out of grad school and then eventually founded my own company. So that's how it all came to be. So you've been doing this quite a long time, then a long time, because I was was looking on your website, I was trying to kind of look at at the people. You've been doing this for a long time, yeah? Yes, I'm very, very old. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, 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 I'm fascinated that you said you kind of went back to study in order to kind of you went back to you were doing it and then you went back to study what to kind yeah. of to to reinforce or inform what you were already doing. Well, I'm I'm old enough that um, the field didn't really exist when I started. I mean, the okay. word the words applied improv didn't didn't exist back yeah, then is that am, am i right in thinking this is quite a new thing this is what this is what i come to understand because i've been doing improv for about 10 years but i've only come across the term applied improv in the last two or three years yeah i think the applied improv network is uh, you're going to have to check me on this you can do some fact checking but i think we're in our 13th or 14th year okay. as a conference and the first year uh we were part of a the first conference was actually a track one track 
of a, a another conference called the North American Simulation and Gaming Association Conference, oh, wow. which is a conference around using interactive strategies for learning. Okay. And my my great mentor, a man named Tiagi, mm-hmm. T-H-I-A-G-I, was one of the founders and heads of that conference. And um, and he has come to talk to to the Applied Improv Network. So he we we started there, and I think at that point we were calling ourselves something like Improv in Business. Okay. And we, were, we were narrow in that field, and then we very quickly realized, you know, business is just one place that you can apply improv, and yes. there are lots of people in the world applying it to many more interesting and important places other than that, and yeah. really talking about anything that isn't uh, a performance stage mm-hmm. is applying improv. Uh, but, but so really, uh, and, and Robert Lowe, I think, wrote, as far as I knew, the first book, his book, I think, is called Improvisation, Inc., yeah. and it was the first book that I read, and I, he found a few years ago a letter, an email that I had written to him way, way back. I think I was in grad school still, and I said, wow, I, I read your book, and it's so inspiring to know that people are actually doing this work because I'm just, my students are coming to me and saying that this is possible, and I've started to do it, but I don't know, is it possible? And he wrote me this inspiring letter back, and uh, so it, it's not that that it wasn't being done a little bit, but the the field. I'm talking sort of late '90s. Mm-hmm. I think we all started to peek up over our own little worlds and look out and say, "Oh, um, there are people." Paul Jackson in the UK and yeah. Alain Stan and yeah. Robert Lowe and I and Sue Wall San Francisco started to look up. And I'm leaving out many many other people who are important and and doing this at the same time, started to look up and say, oh, look, there are other people doing this, and let's collaborate, which is what I love about improvisers, right? We didn't say let's get entrenched and be competitors. Let's let's join together and and do this. That's that's a fascinating bit of history. That's that's really good to know, because I'm just trying to join the dots in my head, because, I mean, I've been over to the States quite a few times, and I've seen places like the Second City, and I've been to Chicago and looked around there, and then obviously over in the UK we had like early 80s, 90s because my route was kind of comedy performance finding out about improv and then it just broadened out from there and it's kind of like alright comedy isn't just for performers comedy improv is kind of improv is not just for performers and comedians it's for all of this stuff you know and I remember meeting right. Paul and, and making the connections between himself and Whose Line Is It Anyway back in the day when that was on telly which would be around about the time that you're saying that kind of early 90s late 80s time when it was kind of blossoming is that is that is that right yeah that's right wow, that's, that's right that's fascinating to draw and those connections between those kind of things that's i wasn't aware of any of that that's great and you know i think it's interesting that you make that connection because i think the theater sports community and of course you know i have to i have to give the caveat that there there are plenty of people doing exciting work that are not part specifically part of yeah. our community yeah. i'm sure and Hello, all of you out there yes, who I don't know. Yes, it's a big, broad church uh, of people. <laughs> you know, I'm sure. Uh, but the theater sports community, you know, back before the internet, yeah. uh, one of the things that was especially exciting about the theater sports community, which is was founded by Keith Johnstone and then had teams, you know, small companies playing this yeah. one format, this one improv format that became sort of inspired, whose line is it anyway, which a lot of your mm-hmm. listeners will know. 
what was lovely about that is we used to have tournaments where, where we would send groups of improvisers from one company in one city and all converge in another city and have workshops and play with each other and get to know each other and connect really yeah, globally. Yeah, that's awesome. And that wasn't happening. Now there are improv festivals all over the place, yeah. right? And with the internet, connecting globally is very easy. But back then, it was a very unique thing to to have an international community in that way. And uh, I, I'm not surprised at all that those communities connected in that way and that they overlap because I think it's one of the reasons that we were able to build a community is because we yeah, are connected. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, I, I myself, I'm part of um, comedy sports in Manchester. Comedy sports obviously was the mm-hmm. the guy, Dick Chudno, which you may have heard of, the guy who kind of thought, oh, well, this theatre sports yeah. thing's a good idea. I'll just come and take it and, and yeah. use it somewhere else and change the name slightly. And, and it was a bit contentious at the time, apparently. I don't know the full story, but apparently that's what happened. Uh, so I'm part of comedy sports now. And then that thing you're saying about this international community, once a year I come to America, I'll go there and, and meet up with all these other comedy sports improvisers. And the beauty of just being able to have a improv jam with people from another country or another city where you just arrive and you can get on stage and work with people who you've never met is it's a beautiful thing, you know, when, when you've got that level of formal informal formal training where you can connect with people at that level. It's just an it's an awesome, mm-hmm. awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. Um, okay, I'm, I'm, I am digressing a bit. I'm going to bring you back on, back on track. It's not about me. I'm, I want to find out. <laughs> I'm not helping you dig- with your digression. I'll go right along yeah, with you anyway. That's excellent. Um, so uh, you, you've, you've done a, a few TED Talks. You use you use storytelling um, as one of the kind of key yes. tools in your business. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, the storytelling techniques that you, that you use? Yeah, so... So here, so here's the. Uh, you'll tell me if this is a digression or not. So I, I came to specializing in storytelling as as one of my specialties in the world of applied yeah. improv, very improvisationally, which which was at the very first Nasaga conference, which was sort of the mothership before the applied improv network yeah. existed, that I presented at. Uh, I, I was going to pr- present on. A, improv specifically using improv techniques mm-hmm. in business uh, but our colleague Alain Rostam was already doing that so I said okay I'll present on improv and yeah, they said what else can you do and I said okay I'll present on using story yeah uh, more specifically so that's sort of how I fell into specializing in that uh, with a sort of yes hand of that but I uh, but a little bit less cynically I think that there is a as a subset of what we do Story is an especially robust and inspiring tool for people yeah. because, uh, very simply speaking, story is the way our brain makes meaning yeah. of the world. Yeah, that's that's a really good way of putting it. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. And do you when you're when you're kind of introducing? Because I I watch there's there's a couple of TED Talk videos on your website, and I watch them where you're getting you're getting people in the audience to to just literally improvise a story there there on the spot, you know. And and I just thought that's that's a really interesting way of just getting people out of their out of their comfort zone a little bit and just getting them to kind of do it do an exercise. What what can you just elaborate a little bit more about 
about the storytelling and how you would do you use that as an imply as an applied improv technique when you're kind of teaching people about the the values of improv absolutely so so there are hundreds of ways to use story uh, in applied ways and they range from everything from literally you know literal presentation skills development and coaching you know like what is your what is the moral of your story if you're giving a speech and how do you craft the structure of your speech in a way that it leads to your moral and and helping people you know a minute ago you said we're improvising all the time but we may not all be always be doing it in the most effective way right there we do it habitually we are we are organically hardwired to be storytellers and so a lot of the work that we do around story is just helping people become consciously competent about what they know unconsciously and then be able to apply it so say you know here's what you sort of organically know is satisfying story structure how do you how do you craft that consciously when you're trying to make a message or here's how you can make a story compelling or here's how you can expand your range as a as a presenter of story so sometimes it's as literal as yeah. that we also use story as a visioning and problem solving structure with individuals and groups uh, for example if you say to a group okay here's where you want to be two years from now that's kind of the where you um, so that's the kind of ever since then sort of the ending of your story okay. if you will and so where are you now this is your once upon a time how are we going to craft the narrative of what do you have to do to get from here and there let's map that journey what are the things you know how can we sort of create the narrative of what i'm going to do to get from here to so there that's, that's kind, kind of, of like a, a visual a visual a audio visualization technique yeah right and and really and sometimes even um, more practically, like a strategic planning, problem-solving okay. kind of technique. Like what actions could you take and what would the consequences of that be? So sort of forecasting models. I mean, it can get really yeah. rigorous if you use it that way. Um, then you can also just use storytelling activities and games to, as collaborative creativity games with people. So if we're working on teamwork or collaboration uh, we can co-create a story as a pair or as a group together Um, and there are many many storytelling games that are like that that are really um, listening games like how can I accept and build with the offer you're giving me and use it somehow or how can I um, figure out what's needed right now in this moment and help move the story forward that's that's right. great. That's great. Now you you you've been in this so you've been in this field for a long time. You're you know you you're one of the pros. I notice you you've you've worked um you've worked in a lot of places like Brazil. It says in your bio you've worked in Brazil and Paris and in Bucharest. Um, mm-hmm. Are there just off the back of of finding that out? I would like to ask you: Are there any cultural differences when you take? when you try to teach improv in a different country are there any cultural because obviously there's you know one thing i find you know i'm in the uk you're in new york and and i can come there and you can come here and even though we're speaking the same language there are very subtle cultural differences in how stuff's Mm -hmm. done do you find that when you're taking improv to a different place is it is it is it 
you know, is, is it people speaking the same language out there, or do you have? Are there any cultural differences that you have to overcome in the use of improv and how their attitudes are? Mm. Or is that? Am I being really vague as a question? No, it's a it's a great question. It's. I have 12 answers in my head, which is why I'm... Sorry to put you on the spot. I would, like, there's 12 ways... No, 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 it's a great question. There's 12, there's 12 ways in. He, he, here's, here's, my, here's my favorite way of answering it. Almost always, when I start yeah. with a client, at some point when I start with a new client, I have this conversation with the uh, owner of the program, not, not with the participants, and usually not with the senior person who's who's brought me in, right? Like, so the CEO will say, oh, yes, we want to do this. And, and so, but there's someone who's kind of in charge of the program, right? And almost always I have this conversation with them. They say, I think what you're doing is great. I really believe in it. I think it's wonderful, but you you have to understand our people are different. Right. 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 And sometimes it's, you know, uh, we're English. Yeah. So, you know, we're very uh, reticent to whatever or um, we're Chinese or, you know, we're, you know, and in China, they're not going to answer your questions or whatever they'll tell me about, you know, how people in Asia are different in China are different or we're doctors. You know, these these our folks are physicians and they're very this or uh, we're engineers, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And um and I used to, there was a, there was a period when I was doing this work when I would get, if not frustrated, a, a little dismissive of that mm-hmm. conversation, right? In my head, at least. Hopefully I was, you know, handled it all right with the client, right? But in my head, I'd be like, oh, for God's sake, you're not different, right? You're all human yeah. beings. And, and then one day, uh, I was about, I was going to present at the Applied Improv Network. And I had a colleague who worked with Tiagi, my mentor, and he was going to do a day. We were going to co-facilitate a day of how to facilitate interactive activities. And it was going to be about debriefing and setting up activities and all of this stuff. And I found myself saying the day before we were going in to do the program, okay, now you have to understand, I know you're really experienced and you know what you're doing, but these guys are different. They're improvisers. (laughs) So you can't. And I realized, oh, okay, I get it. So, so I think here's what I've come to think about your question. Yes, everyone's different. Of course, every everybody's different. And um, what's beautiful about what we teach in improv is that what we're doing when we're sharing it with people, and when we're facilitating, and when we're uh, when we're running a session. What we need to do to make that work is exactly what we're teaching. We need to be super present with our partner. We need to be paying attention. We need to say, who am I with? How do I co-create what's needed in this moment? And that is always the same. And if I'm, if I'm doing that right, if I'm saying, hi, I'm here with you and I'm paying attention to you and I'm receiving uh, I'm co-creating with you. So I'm receiving your offers, yeah. which is a technical term in improv for whatever my partner is saying or doing mm-hmm. or giving me, right? If I'm receiving yeah. that and building with it and responding to it in a way that meets your needs, 
then you will respond to that positively. And if I'm not doing that, then you won't. So, so the shortest answer, so a short answer would be, uh, usually people are really nervous that their people are going to be different and what we do isn't going to work with them. Usually it's not a problem and it works just yeah. fine because we're pretty good at setting context and making sure that what we're doing is yes. linked to having value yeah. to them. It's one of our strong, strong values that we don't have the right to do any activities or make anybody mm -hmm. do anything unless it's linked to some outcome yes. that they care yeah. about. Right. But it's also true that that may be different for this person in this moment, in this context. And I have to be really clear about what am I designing and what am I doing? And if I'm just going in and doing the same thing in the same way, then I'm then it's scripted. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not yeah right. yeah it's, it's kind of the, you, a level of kind of well not hyper awareness but a real acute level of awareness of what's going on in, in the room at the time we have to practice yeah, what of we course. preach yeah no that, that that's that's a really good answer that's a really good answer thanks for that that's that's awesome Ed? um so i'm um, that's kind of and it like kind of leads me on to my next my next question to you which is what what do you personally get out of the work that you do it's clear that you're very passionate about it what do you think are your personal mm -hmm. takeaways from from working in in improv and applied improv yeah it is the most satisfying and fulfilling and most challenging work in the world for me and in in some ways i think it comes down to it what you've already said which is it's not really a metaphor for life. I mean, it, it actually is the practice of living what we're yeah. doing, right? We are, are practicing connecting to and communicating with and being with other people. It is the practice of being present and effective in yeah. your life. Uh, our colleagues at, you know, language that we use a lot that we learned from our colleagues at performance of a lifetime, which is a really big, robust, successful consultancy here in the States in New York, based mm -hmm. out of New York. They talk about human beings as performers. Yeah. Say, so, you know, we are performing all the time. That's what we as human beings do, which is a slightly different way. Some, it's a little, it's slightly different from saying we're, we're improvising all yeah. the time, right? It, and, and, and so, so the way we say this is, you know, we're, in any given moment, we're making performance choices. We're performing this conversation yeah. right now. And, and when I say that, I don't mean we're being inauthentic, but it's different from if I were sitting here across the table from my husband having a cup of coffee, I would be speaking yeah, differently, yeah, yeah. right? It's different from if I, you know, were talking to my four-year-old niece, right? I'm not gonna say to you, John, <laughs> how's your breakfast? Are you having a good breakfast? Oh, isn't that delicious, right? So uh, we make performance choices all the time. A lot of them are habitual, as we've been saying. A lot of them are unconscious. And the, so the work we're doing is about expanding our awareness and expanding our range. And so to get back to your question, that is an infinite practice, right? I think it's like people who, who meditate and work on mindfulness. It is an infinite practice. And I feel like 
when we go in and we do work with people, whether it's students coming to our theater and doing their first improv class, or we go into an organization and do, you know, a day of leadership yeah. training, we give we give people everything they need to know in just a few hours about these principles mm-hmm. and concepts. In a few hours, you can learn everything you need to know, and then it's a lifetime yeah, of practice. Absolutely, absolutely. There's a there's a thing we do in comedy sports um, at our annual championship where one person will start chanting we are not a cult and like two seconds later two seconds later (laughs) everyone is chanting we are not a cult we are not a cult because when you're in a room full of improvisers it's very easy to just kind of if you're an outsider from that it's very easy to look inside and just go who are these guys what are they doing because they connect so 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 easily that's 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 right so that's part of it and i think that or you know and maybe another way to say that is i and i just i i love i think you know, when I went to when I went back to yeah. grad school to sort of check, am I selling snake oil or is there yeah, something here? Yeah, that's that's great. It's kind of I heard you say that in your um, in your TED Talk video, and I think that's a really valuable thing because it's it's certainly um, because I I find and again just a little digression. The, the the American yeah, yeah. the American culture as I've observed it it's very positive. It's very kind of you know and and in in the UK we can be a little bit cynical. So when, yeah. when you, we try to kind of certainly my experience of kind of pitching improv and applied improv workshops to people, it's there is this kind of you know what is this? It's just talking to people. It's just talking and listening. We do that all the time, and it's kind of like how do you yeah. how do you get over this kind of as exactly like you're saying? It's kind of like am I selling snake oil? It's kind of well I know in my heart of hearts I'm not, but how do I absolutely concrete explain this to someone in a way that I can get it across? You know, and, and yeah. going back to the studying is 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 fascinating. That 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 you it, it makes perfect sense that you would take that route. So you went back and you did this masters, right? And I think I think it's actually really important. I mean, I think we need to hold ourselves accountable. Let's be honest. There is a very low bar to entry into this field. <laughs> there is there is no bar to entry, right? All you need to do is take an improv class and then say, hey, I'm going to do improv. You know, I'm a, I can teach an improv yeah. workshop. Like there, there is no, and I think the, you know, the applied improv network, one of the things that the organization is trying to do is raise the bar, right? We're trying to train people and we're trying to, we're working on certifications and things, not as a way of keeping people out, but as a way of legitimizing yeah. the field yeah. and having individuals say, how do I measure myself? But, but truly there is no, you know, you don't have to get credentialed. Yeah. All you have to do is convince someone to hire you. So I love the. I'm sort of a fan of checking yes, ourselves yeah. and being a little more cynical and um, and 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 saying, wait a second, what am I doing, and is this legitimate? So at any rate, given that, even though I went back and I learned all sorts of things, and I can, you know, and now, however many years later, I know much, much more even than I did when I left. Uh, the main thing that I learned, and I learned it within the first six weeks of being in grad school, uh, I came, I went to grad school, and it was really, in some ways, my first time out in the world with lay people who weren't mostly yeah. actors. And what I learned was that most people in the world are starving for this thing that I had taken for granted as a performer which was just to be seen and heard yeah, wow. and connect. Yeah. 
right, in this intimate way that we get to do as performers. And so, again, circling back to your question about why I'm so passionate about the work, that feels like such a gift to be able to give people is just that simple moment of being able to connect with someone in that authentic, real way, be able to feel seen and heard and to be able to um, allow someone else to be seen and heard. People find that very moving and very yeah, powerful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I'm totally on board with that. That's a great answer. Um, okay, I've got a couple more questions, and then we'll wrap up. Um, yeah. What, what are you, what? So, what are you working on at the minute? What's, what's, what's currently happening in in copper.com land? Well, I'm about to be, I'm about to travel your way. I'm going to be in Dublin and London uh, for Facebook, doing some uh, manager skills training okay. for them, and. Uh, I'm going to be, we are uh, working, we're doing a lot of customer service skills yeah. training, authentic customer service skills training. And we also are, uh, we just, we're opening our own theater oh, wow. in a week. Wow. Yeah. I can't forget that. <laughs> so, Is that in New York? It's in upstate New York, so not in the city, but a couple hours north of the city. We just uh, we bought an old firehouse, okay. and uh, my husband and partner, Michael Burns, gutted it, and uh, our offices will be upstairs and downstairs. We've turned into a, a little theater, and we'll have all sorts of shows there and classes. And That's awesome. Next, next time I'm there, I'll come, I'll come visit next time I'm there. Please come by. Yeah. We're in Skin. City, New York. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm gonna. Well, at the end of the interview, I'll be. I'll put everything in the in the notes on the podcast. You'll see this on the on the bringabrickpodcast.com. There will be notes on the bottom all about Kat and her company. Uh, one last question for you, Kat. Improv is. It's all about the games. Well, it's not all about the games, but a lot of it's about the games. Yeah. Do you have a favorite improv game? Uh, well, since we talked about story, I guess I I should say that. Um, Ken Adams' story spine is my most beloved tool that I give to my clients. Okay. And I can give that to you and post it to you. And the companion activity that I use with that a lot that people like is called Color Advance. Okay. Kat Coppert, thank you so much for joining me for the show and sharing um, a, a bit of history there as well, a, a wonderful bit of history and, and a bit about what you do. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. For more interviews, visit the bringabrickpodcast.com website. While you're there, you can also sign up for the mailing list and send me your comments and recommendations. And if you like what you've heard, please do rate and review. Every click does help.